Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Weeder, episode 14 Days after the Bears' 23-20 victory over the Houston Texans at Soldier Field, looking ahead to the New York Giants this Sunday in New Jersey on the road for Justin Fields and this struggling offense. Well, I should say struggling Justin Fields and the offense because, Dan, the Bears are running the football well, but they just can't get the passing game going. Yeah, and playing defense fairly well also. And so, right, this this anemic passing attack right now needs to get answers, and they need to get answers quickly because you cannot sort of forfeit the benefits that you're being given by a defense that's keeping you in football games and by a running attack that conceivably should be opening other things up for you in the passing game. Justin's got to figure out what the heck went wrong on Sunday afternoon. We talked about it immediately after the game. He wanted to, to, to use the A word to describe his performance. He ultimately settled on the word trash. And I don't think anyone in Chicago Chicago this week is disagreeing with Justin Fields, right? So maybe that's progress. He's got everyone in Chicago agreeing with his own self-assessment of what happened in the game. We have reached a consensus. Yes, everybody (laughs) agrees. The T word applies and it was trashy and it was inconsistent and it was the A word would be awful. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement, especially against a Giants team that is beatable. And you look at the schedule and frankly, two of the next three games look pretty winnable. If you're the Bears, and if you maintain that consistency, on defense and you make some strides offensively. Who knows, Dan? But hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, David, I, I said, listen, the Bears can't get ahead of themselves, but we can every once in a while. And and even before Sunday's game, I said, listen, in, in week four, they go to play a Giants team that's going to be on a short week after playing the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. The following week, they go to Minnesota to play a Vikings team that does not have a bye week after their trip to London. So they're going to be jet lagged and trying to regroup and adjust from that. And so th- there are windows of opportunity here for a struggling and developing 
developing program to experience some success, even as they try to shore up all of their weaknesses. And that's a good thing for Matt Eberflus and his squad, that they're not playing a murderer's row of opponents that, that demoralizes you so significantly that you can't pick yourself back up when you have these, these bad performances. I mean, yesterday was far from a, a pretty performance, but it's a, a, a victory Monday and then it's a victory week at Hallis Hall. And all of a sudden you get a chance to, to feel a little bit better about yourselves, even as you go through the correction process. Okay. So this is take the North pod and you can get, get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Dan Weider's work can be found on a daily basis at chicagotribune.com covering the bears at Hallis Hall and wherever they go. And you can find uh, my work and my column from the latest game on 670score.com. We're going to be doing this every Tuesday morning, every Friday morning, then after games uh, as uh, the reactions warrant. And I think we'll be doing it again Sunday night because the Giants game is an opportunity for growth. And this is a season full of evaluation. So you are at the right place if you're looking for the most insightful and uh complete Bears coverage, uh, including some opinions along the way. So let's get to our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. All right, so Dan, let's just start with what I sense from being on the air uh, the morning after the Bears every Monday and then after this latest victory. You, get, you hear from callers. You hear from texters. I know you get email. You get reactions on yeah. social media. There is a season-long and I think citywide debate discussion over the value of winning a game. The Bears are two and one. We know that. And the importance of developing a quarterback. And I think that ideally you're able to do both. Realistically, it's difficult to balance both. But that's the balance that Matt Eberflus will, will try to strike. My opinion Winning always matters and becomes the highest priority because besides the quarterback, which is the most important position in the NFL, you have to worry about the buy-in factor and the obligation you have to 52 other professionals in that locker room. And I think that Matt Eberflus answered that question the right way the other day after the game when I asked him about that. And I think that's going to be the consistent approach and theme that carries through this season and this week. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think some of this is about who's setting the priorities and how you're setting them. And some of that is a, a fluid process that has to kind of evolve as the season goes along and you figure out where you're at. Right now, the Bears are deadlocked for first place in the NFC North with the Vikings and Packers at two and one. And so you don't lose sight of that in September. You understand that this team isn't competing for anything and that long range, you've got to, 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 to make strides in meaningful areas, most notably making sure that your quarterback can make improvements and, and progress as a player. But I also think think that when you're in a game like Sundays against the bottom tier opponent and you're at home and you've got a chance to experience success as a rebooting program, you don't just pass on that because you want to get your, your starting quarterback a few more passing attempts on a day where he's struggling mightily, right? No, you go and you, you try to win the football game. So I had very little issue with the way the Bears managed Sunday's victory. The bigger issues are with how their quarterback played, and we'll get into that in a minute. I think Matt's got a challenge all year long, and he's got a challenge in, in motivating this group, right, in, in, in the locker room and, and on game days. And then he's got a challenge of listening to his boss, Ryan Poles, and trying to figure out, okay, what can we be doing, you know, bigger picture to make sure we're taking some of our, our perceived building blocks or maybe our question mark building blocks and putting them in position to be more sturdy and stable as this program moves along. And that, that's going to be a challenge all year. And, and let's, right. let's see where they go with it. I, I'm very curious to see how involved and maybe that's the wrong word but i think how 
Ryan Poles presents himself on a weekly basis. We don't get a lot of uh, access to the general manager, but he does have a, a, a vehicle through Jeff Joniak in the weekly pregame show on WBBM, uh, the score sister station. And, I, and I'm and curious to see the rhetoric that he uses and the language and words that he chooses to describe the primary mission of this season, because the, it's the coach's job to win every Sunday. It's the general manager's job to some degree to save the franchise from the coach. And he, they're, they're always competing factors. There's always going to be competing forces in conflict with each other. And, and that to me is the greatest one this year, because let's face it, Justin Fields has yet to hold up his end of the bargain. He has not. You've, you've got a team and a franchise that finally it's refreshing. And I've said this on the air and I was, it bears repeating a coaching staff that believes in complementary football. And it's more than a myth. It's more than a concept. You're seeing a defense that's trying to do what it can to help, you know, to do its part on this yes. team. You, you see a running game that's carrying the load for this offense, and you see an offensive coordinator in Luke Getze that is subtly adjusting and adapting and growing on the job. And when I think we saw that last example here, when they had – uh, they were inside the red zone, inside the five. Last week, we were complaining all week about the shotgun and the honeymoon was over and all that happened in that quarterback power against the Packers. This time, they bring in Riley Reef. They use three offensive tackles. They bring in a fullback. Remember him? <laughs> and they power the ball into the end zone. That was a great play, but that was great growth. And I think that's what I mean. You see this collective effort toward going in a direction that can get people excited but it's now up to the quarterback to catch up. Well, I always think of that. I think it's from the natural, that quote where the, the speech where, where losing is a disease, right? You know, that famous clip from that movie is as contagious as polio. And so when you can avoid losing, right, like you, you have a chance to to build some positive momentum. I think back to 2019 when things were going haywire for Mitch Trubisky in his third season. And there was a moment in October of that season. The Bears were hosting the Saints at Soldier Field without Drew Brees, without Alvin Kamara. And the offense was so atrocious that the defense broke. Right. The defense just ultimately broke. And that's the fear long term. If your offense can't put together enough production to let your defense feel the rewards of its investments and, and its efforts and its productivity on its side of the ball. And so to come out of Sunday afternoon with a win is a huge momentum builder for a defense that is going to be something that can be your flotation device for a while. I'm also looking down at the calendar right now, David, and we still have a few days left in September. I promise Chicago Bears fans that listen to the Take the North podcast that in November and December and January, there are going to be plenty of moments to focus on the development of the future Chicago Bears, right? There's going to become a moment where the in the hunt graphic has kicked the Bears to the side. And now it's all about let's get as many young players, as many reps as we can. And let's make sure we're exposing our starting quarterback to as many situations as we can to test his metal and to test his future potential. But right now, again, we're still in September and you've got a chance here to, to, to win games against, you know, opponents that you're evenly matched with. The Bears have won two out of three in the month. And that's that's important, right? It's important. The most important thing ultimately into this season is getting Justin unlocked. They've got to still work on that code, but you don't just ignore every other thing because you're so determined to, to, to make that happen, particularly at a time when the quarterback himself is struggling the way he is. Before we take a deeper dive into that quarterback himself, let's look at, I have a question on each side of the ball, yeah. an issue to address. So let's start with the defense that you spoke of. I find it very interesting, and I wonder if it's connected to this emphasis on physical and mental stamina. Mm -hmm. Get your running shoes, guys, because we're going to start to be that team. 
and they're going to be the team that can outlast everybody. Is there any connection, or I guess how tight is it between that approach and the fact through three games the Bears um, has not allowed a touchdown in the second half? I do believe there's a connection, and I believe there's a connection because Justin Jones in the locker room on Sunday night essentially told me there's a connection, right? Fluce has preached this since the day we got the training camp that we're going to be more uh, physically strong and mentally tough than our opponents down the stretch of games. And when you have that physical strength and that mental toughness, you can make plays when the game is on the line, which the Bears have done. Again, we talked all about the Roquan Smith interception that set up the game-winning field goal, but that three-and-out series they had after Fields' second interception in the fourth quarter was enormous, right? And that's that's the 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 test of a defense that has just been put in a very unfavorable sudden change situation inside their own 40-yard line, right? And, and and you know, now we've got to stand up and and at, at best, you know, allow a field goal, uh, you know, or, or get them off the field right away. And they stood up to that test and they won it. And, and, and Justin Jones was emphatic that the reason that they stood up in those moments is because they were ready for those moments physically and mentally. Listen, 12 points allowed in the second half of three games. That's not an accident, right? We'll see where they go from here, but it's at least an early trend that's worth clinging to. And here's the thing. It doesn't really matter if people outside that locker room believe that, buy into that idea or not, it doesn't really matter if even if it's true or right, not related. Right. As long as they believe it, it is true and it is a factor because they feel like as the game gets longer, as the challenges become greater, they get tougher and stronger. So if they buy into that, that's all you need. That is coaching. And that if you can get your players to believe in something that may or may not be true, that's good coaching. Yeah, I mean, leadership is always about way more than X's and O's. It's about how you inspire and how you reach the guys that you need to produce for you. And they've reached the guys they need to produce for you. I think it's also notable, David, that that the Bears, guys with all pro uh, lines on their resume, you know, Roquan Smith and Eddie Jackson came up with the takeaways in big moments on Sunday, right? And you ask your best players to step up in the biggest moments, and they did that on Sunday. And that's what turns a, a... potentially dispiriting loss into a win that at the at a minimum you know bars the the doors to all the outside avalanche of criticism that's coming for your quarterback and your passing attack and that's a big deal so let's talk about that offense for a moment and before we get into the justin fields breakdown this offensive line has maybe struggled protecting the passer but certainly not struggled creating uh, running lanes for running backs and they have controlled the line of scrimmage now and on Sunday it was historically good the first time since 1984 they had gained that many yards and when you do something like that an identity starts to become more apparent and you start again to get that 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 pride that is taken by that collective group of five or six as it as it is on the Bears offensive line how how heavy and how far are they going to lean into this identity, do you think? Because, again, there's that competing force. You want to get Justin Fields, his touches if he were a basketball player, his throws as he's an NFL quarterback. But, boy, if you are running the ball and you are playing to the strength of your offense with this offensive line and you got two running backs who are dynamic and complement each other well, if David Montgomery is healthy, that's a nice problem for Luke Getzey to have because this identity is becoming clearer. Listen, it beats the alternative of having a feeble passing attack and a running game that's, you know, pedestrian, right? And now all of a sudden, at least you know you can lean on that. And when you lean on that, you can you can ride it to production. They are going to 
use this as a strength because they've obviously established it as a strength. Over time, they've got to find that balance that Mitty Eberflus talked about all through week three that they didn't quite discover on Sunday against the Texans. They've got to find that balance eventually, but to have a running game humming the way it is, to be able to have it hum when your top running back, David Montgomery, is lost in the first half to an injury and to not miss a beat with Khalil Herbert back there is huge. First play of the third quarter offensively for the Bears, Khalil Herbert gets 52 yards, David, and you go back and you watch that play and you get terrific second-level blocks from Cody Whitehair and Tevin Jenkins. You get a good block up front by Cole Komet. You've got a fullback, the aforementioned Kari Blazing game that you mentioned, get into the hole and just clear out a safety. And now all of a sudden, Khalil's got the easiest job in football, right? Just go through that wide lane and take off into the open field, make one guy kind of miss. And now you've got 52 yards and you set up yourself for a, a, a touchdown drive, right? In which the Bears capitalized and did score a touchdown in that possession. That was one example of many throughout the game where you saw that determination up front that cleared holes and, and, and you know, paved a way for, for Khalil Herbert's big day. And something else that I think is very minor and a small detail, but I think it's also important as the Bears continue to run the football well, their downfield blocking is outstanding. And that's mm-hmm. another point of emphasis. I mean, this receiving core, I always say, as a wide receiver, you don't want the, the lead to be, boy, he's a really good blocker. Because right. that's not exactly what you want to hear. But as a group, this receiving core, they're pretty good blockers. And that's not to be overlooked either. No, and they know they can rely on that right now, too. And, and right now, when, you, when you're grasping as much as they are in the passing game, you have to have something you can rely on, thankfully for them, that they have something right now in this running game that can carry them. Okay, so a couple of detailed things. David Montgomery's health status moving forward, and then in terms of just the right guard rotation, you said last week that you wouldn't be surprised if Lucas Patrick ends up snapping against the Giants. Do you still think things might be headed in that direction? That's my lean. Obviously, Wednesday's practice will be one where we get a little bit more uh, indicator of of what Lucas is doing and and which way this thing is going. Uh, I think that's probably uh, the direction for week four, and, and we'll see if the coaching staff agrees. And David Montgomery? Yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait and see on that, right? It's That's a, a nerve-wracking one. And, and Byron Pringle also uh, you know, left Soldier Field in a walking boot. Uh, it was announced as a calf injury in the press box, but it certainly didn't look good uh, to have that boot on him leaving Soldier Field. So those are some key injuries to your offense. Montgomery certainly far more important to this team's plans. And and, and let's see how he comes through the, the diagnosis and how quickly the Bears are willing to <laughs> let us in on the diagnosis that they received from all the tests. Quick impression, Tristan Ebner, his uh, first extended look at running running back. I, I still think he needs to be a little bit more uh, of, a, of an explosive guy, but he is a rookie and he still has room to grow. He needs to be more seasoned. He needs to gain experience. I think the Bears drafted him in part because they think he can be a weapon for them in the passing game as a pass catcher. And a couple opportunities yesterday that went astray in part because he and the quarterback were not synced up properly. We can get into that in a minute or two. But listen, like he's going to be leaned on, right? For, for as long as Montgomery's out, uh, this isn't going to be just a one-back offense. And so Tristan Ebner is going to need to step up quickly and in a hurry and understand what's being asked of him. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time 
baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's take a deeper dive into QB1. Okay, Dan, Justin Fields, every week we're going to take a detailed look into his performance yesterday. Pretty much it was trash. He said it, not us, and we just agreed with him. What was your defining moment for Justin Fields against the Texans? Yeah, Monday's trash day in my neighborhood, so I took Justin's Justin's performance out to the curb when I pulled into the driveway last night. I said, let me leave this here for them. They can get rid of this. I don't want to smell it inside my house because it was pretty bad. And uh, Listen, David, the rewatch – Uh, of this football game from the Bears passing offense side of things was an eyesore. It was so disheartening to see the number of difficulties they had. The defining moment for me is the first interception. It's a play that is schemed up to get a big game completion to a wide open tight end down the seam on your first read. And Justin, by his own admission, just missed the throw. It's a very inaccurate throw that safety Jalen Petrie, uh, gets under and, and intercepts. And it's, it's just troubling because it's a moment where you have your opportunity as a quarterback to, to move the chains, to get the offense in a rhythm. And you've got a guy wide open, one of your favorite targets. We talked about highlighting your skill. Okay, here he is, Cole Komet, down the middle open, and you misfire that badly. That set the tone for a, a lot of the day that followed, and, and they just never really got on track after that. And it's just, again, first read, wide open receiver. You cannot miss the guy by three yards. It was so messy. I feel like we should be wearing gloves and or a mask. <laughs> hazmat suit. Hazmat suit. Then people couldn't hear us. So that's not a good idea. All right. My defining moment was provided for us. And I think that basically Luke Getze helped us identify it. And that was in the, I guess it would be the second series of the second quarter. And the Bears have the ball at the 10-yard line. There's still 1147. Uh, left in the second quarter, relatively early in the game, but relatively defining because Luke Getze looked at what was happening and told us basically, we don't trust our quarterback this deep in our own territory. And if he wasn't saying that with his words, he certainly did so with his actions. Three straight running plays, handoff to Khalil Herbert, handoff to Khalil Herbert, shotgun snap to Justin Fields, draw play to Treston Ebner, punt. So I think that, to me, that defined how the day would go and told us what direction to look, and that would be, you know, who's getting the handoff, not watching Justin Fields develop as a passer. They took the ball out of his hands, and and I think kind of uh, the wind out of his sails, if you will, because this is something that defined how little faith they have in him at this stage of his career. Maybe that's overstating it and too early in the game to identify it, but you saw the same type of – behavior or reaction to late in the first half when they misused their timeouts and they really didn't trust Justin Fields in that situation. So the lack of trust to me was as defining as anything because it's one thing for us to draw conclusions and to speculate about how much they believe in a quarterback and how much this or how much that. It's another thing to look at how they call the game and how that reflects their own faith in a player. And I think in this case, 
it was the defining moment for me on Sunday. Yeah, you sat up in the jury box, also known as the press box at Soldier Field, and, and the verdict you came to after the game is that they don't trust their passing offense. I'm with you. I think it's a unanimous verdict in that regard. The question is, why should they trust their passing offense, right? And that would be the retort from Luke Getze, Matt Eberflus, and the coaching staff is that, man, we don't know what we can rely on in the passing offense. So, yeah, we don't trust it and you don't trust it either because you've watched the same things we've watched you know for the last three weeks that that we can't hit even the easy ones and that's that's a problem all right the next category is on the bright side did you see anything on the bright side for justin fields <laughs> well i thought it was interesting mark potash friend of the podcast uh, asked justin directly in the post-game news conference what possibly he could draw from that game to be encouraged by as he went home. You always want to have something, right, that you can you put in your back pocket and say, well, I'm encouraged by that. And Justin's answer was pretty basic. He said, I, I like the way I hung strong in there, and ultimately we won, right? And so on the bright side, the Bears won. And so the, the fact that this football team can win a game, even against a lowly opponent, when their passing offense looks that awful, you know, it's a small silver lining. Listen, it's not a, a big enough silver lining to – push away the storm clouds that you and I are talking about in this segment. But I, I, I think there is something to just winning through moments like that. Now you would want your game winning uh, drive to be better than four plays, zero yards, right? Like you, you don't want to rely on your defense to give you the ball inside the red zone. And then you just kick a, a chip shot field goal. And Justin had moments in the fourth quarter to redeem himself and, and lead a game winning drive in the fourth quarter and didn't do it. It's a small one. I, I, I know I'm grasping, but that's my defining moment is just from, I mean, my, on the bright side is what Justin is feeling on the bright side as he leaves the, the stadium on Sunday. You, you kind of have to be grasping at this point. I think yeah. my only on the bright side would be, uh, intangible as well. I think uh, I'll try to tie two things together. Number one, Matt Eberflus called it resiliency, and he was talking about his football team, but I think it was represented best uh, in his quarterback. Justin Fields does epitomize that resilience that you want in a football team, and he had to have it, and he's going to have to have more because I think it's going to get tougher and harder before it gets easier. And so I guess on the bright side, I'd have to take a step back and then take another step back and zoom out, not just at what the Bears are doing, but what's going on around the league. And a year ago at this time, and I am making the comparison, I've talked about it on the radio. I don't know if it makes any sense or not, but Jalen Hurts was getting booed in Philly and he was looking like a guy who was very limited in his growth, stunted in his development. And he's very similar in terms of a skill set. Uh, to Justin Fields, let's hope so, at least in Chicago. And I think that when you see the way that he has developed into what I think after three games is a legitimate MVP candidate, a Pro Bowl candidate, if at very least, and it is very early in the season, my point is, is that a year ago, there was mm, there were a lot of questions about Jalen Hurts that sounded very much like the kind of questions we're asking about Justin Fields. Is he a good fit for this offense? Can he really throw the ball down the field? What about him as a pocket passer? Year later, it looks like he's answered those questions with questions with a resounding yes. Now I, I qualify this. He's got a, <laughs> he's got the best offensive line in the, maybe in the league. He they went out and they got AJ Brown. They got Devontae Smith, who's a terrific uh, pass catcher. They've got a tight end who's making an impact. The coach, there's a, there's a symmetry there that works for them. But I do think that if you're looking for bright spots, you have to look around the league to find examples of quarterbacks who can overcome tough second years.
Yeah, Justin's patience is going to be tested this year. His mental fortitude is going to be tested this year. There's still three and a half months to go in this season for him to go through a lot of bumps and bruises and figure out how he picks himself back up and hopefully becomes one of these, you know, bounce back stories that we're talking about in 2023. Certainly uh, Sunday had so much ugliness that, that yeah, you and I are left to, to grasp for small things like we just grasped for. Okay, the next category, and I'm reminding you that this is a podcast, not a documentary, <laughs> and it, it we only have a, a, so much time allotted to, but the category is, uh-oh. Okay, so here are my uh-oh moments. I'm going to start with the first snap of the game, a mishandled quarterback center exchange between Sam Mustafer and Justin Fields. And it was just that kind of day where even the easy stuff was difficult for the Bears. They got a first drive manufactured touch for Darnell Mooney, and they throw it out to the, the slot on the left, and it gets knocked down by a cornerback in the backfield, deflected, right? They tried to throw that swing pass that I mentioned before to Tristan Ebner, and it's an easy completion to a running back. That's not an easy completion. It's an incompletion. They've got another pass to Mooney late in the first half that he drops. There were so many things. In the third quarter, there's a pass uh, Justin on a, on a play-action rollout to his right. Doesn't have his first read there for him. It does. It looks like he doesn't have a second read there for him, but he still has Jake Tongi's wide open 13 yards down the field over the middle, and he misses him by three yards. And so even these easy, easy plays aren't easy for them. And I hear all this criticism of, of the game that Luke Getze called and, and all the things that they're doing to, to, to handcuff Justin. And you, and you go back through the video and you say, look, Luke Getze set him up for, for a dozen easy completions. Justin finished the day with eight total completions on the day. And so the, the, the ugliness, David, none of the easy stuff came easy, which only makes the difficult stuff more difficult. The uh-oh for me were the two botched snaps, and I know that you touched on those, but I think that because – and they're related to the, the missed stationary throws, the easiest pitch and catch you're going to have for a quarterback. I just feel like when you have such a, a small margin for error, you cannot allow the, the simple things to get in the way and to interfere with your progress. And right now, the simple things are impeding his progress – the center quarterback exchange has got to be something that's second nature and is not – you don't have 62 snaps this game. You only had 41 last game. You can't waste a play when you're trying to, you know, develop as a quarterback. And I think those fumbled snaps, you can – I don't care whose fault it is. Fix it because they're wasted plays. So are the bot side screens or bubble – passes you know those can't be tipped those can't be dropped those can't be overthrown that's the easiest pass you're going to make as a quarterback it should be close close enough to make it an egg toss so you shouldn't be able to botch that and so when you look at those number the number of moments that happened you start to say "Uh uh-oh what's going on here because it's hard enough to do the things that are hard in football, yeah. to, to make the tough read and to make the tight window and all of those things that come with taking that next step. You've got to take, as James Lofton called it, you got to hit the layups. Yep. And he missed the layup to Cole Komet and he missed other layups to Darnell Mooney. And so we were saying, uh-oh, a lot. And we don't have <laughs> enough time to get into all the examples, but just look at 62 snaps. And I think about five or six of them were wasted ones. Look, I felt like I was back in a time machine to my young days as a reporter covering upstate eight conference football. I was like, we're Bonzi Valley Bartlett with some of the basic mistakes being made in the passing game. Shout out to the Warriors who I used to cover back in the day, but it, it was ugly in that regard. You gave me a good idea though. When the take the North uh, brand expands and we start doing documentaries up the road, we've got a good one from week three of the 
2022 season. We'll call it the A word. We'll take a deep dive into everything that went wrong in that performance and how it foreshadowed the, the future for the Chicago Bears. Maybe that's I a like good that. documentary. Always looking ahead. Okay, last category, big number. My big number is one. That is the number of possessions that the Bears had on Sunday in which they completed multiple passes. Whoa. <laughs> 12, 12 possessions, David, in a 2022 NFL game, and they didn't have their first series with multiple uh, completions until the fourth quarter. It was their only series with multiple completions. I mean, I saw the look on your face here. I wish you could put that into words for the audience that we have here. On That's the, stunning. <laughs> I mean, in today's NFL, you're not playing college football. You're not in the Big Ten anymore. You're not playing uh, Army, Navy, or Air Force. This is the NFL. Wow. Yes. That's, a, that's a stunning number. Okay, that's a big number, a good one. See, I cannot top that. Uh, th there's no way uh, I can top that. But mine would be 45 because it's related to that. That's the number of passes the Bears have attempted through three games. I know there are sacks involved. I know there probably were more passes called that were converted into runs. But 45 passes in three games for a National Football League team in 2022 is ridiculous. There's <clears throat> But I don't mean it in a good way, Jeff Joniak fans. It is ridiculous that you have a passing game that primitive and you can't throw the ball down the field any better than the Bears appear to be able to throw the ball down the field. So my big number is 45. And not that you have to get pass happy. I know they're playing to the strengths. I can argue all week long, if you want, on the Mullen Haw Show, why that makes sense for this football team to win more games. But you got, you've got to, at some point in time, test your quarterback more than he's being tested and find that happy medium. And they're still striving to find it. 297 passing yards for Justin Fields through three games. Whew. That's like a Patrick Mahomes Sunday afternoon against a good team. And that's <laughs> yeah. Through three quarters. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's uh, flip the score. I like this one, Dan. Go ahead and get to it. Imagine if the score were reversed. What would we be talking about? Look, we're moments away from that score being being flipped, right? It's 20 to 20, and the Texans have the ball in the fourth quarter. All Davis Mills has to do is lead his team down the field, kick a field goal, and all of a sudden, Lovey's boys get on the bus and head back to Houston with a rousing road victory. And so if that had happened, we would have spent this entire week talking about what we just talked about in the last segment, the disgusting passing offense that the Chicago Bears currently have and how desperately they need to fix it. We would be ignoring all of the positives that we highlighted with the defense and the running game and we'd be talking strictly about how broken this passing offense is and what it actually indicates in regards to what it means for Justin's development and Justin's future. That's a, a interpretation exercise that's going to take a little while to figure out, right? Because hopefully this is a one-off game that is following two games that left you a little bit uneasy and they can get something unlocked here in the coming days. But my God, David, if you can't keep your focus directly on how much difficulty they're having in the passing game right now, I don't know what else you talk about i think this is a fun exercise that I, I i imagine this is the kind of conversation they have in the bears coaching uh staff office on monday morning or sunday night or whenever they reconvened i guess it would be monday because flucy gave him 24 hours to enjoy yeah um because it's the best kind of coaching opportunity you won a game but to some degree you came out of it not feeling like a loss because you never apologized for victory in the NFL, but there were enough things that didn't go right that held that kept your audience a captive one. So you, you can, you can go into the room and, and everybody will look at you uh, with, with understanding and feeling like, you know what, we have a lot to get better and improve on. 
because it wasn't overly impressive. There were elements of it that were. I think the running game was, but they're not going to get complacent because they just don't have that. That's, that's, that's You don't really worry about an offensive line getting complacent. And, and I think that if you flip the score and the Bears lost, you would just feel worse about everything and it might be a bit more of a downer and they won and you still feel like it's not good enough so i think they have the best of both worlds this week they maintain the record they're in a three-way tie for first place in the nfc north they still can take the north and they are uh able to be coached you the coachability is huge this season and i think this week they can address some of the, those weaknesses and continue to Try to rebuild, I don't even want to say build, rebuild Justin Fields' confidence because he may say that he still believes in himself and he may say that he's not affected by this, but I think his play suggests otherwise. Two other sequences that we might be talking about at length had the Bears lost this game would have been late in the first half. You referenced this. Uh, second and eight from the, the Texans' 25 just before the two-minute warning. Fields fumbles the snap and they obviously recover it. Uh, and then you get field sacked on third down for a loss of nine, and you have to settle for a 50-yard Cairo Santos field goal rather than putting six on the board, seven on the board, and, and giving yourself the lead going into halftime. The other one is in the, the third quarter when the Texans convert the fake punt, right? Fourth and one near midfield, and Brad Biggs and I were up in the booth saying, this is the time. This is If you're ever going to call a fake punt, it's right here. The Texans did it. They got their push up front and rolled in. Now, listen, you know as well as I do that Brad Biggs calls for a fake punt on every single punt of the game. Every punt for the last 20 years the Bears have been involved with, Biggsy says – Now's a great time for a fake, okay? So that was a great time for a fake. You're at the (laughs) 46-yard line. The Bears kept their their safe defense on the field. The problem with that is, Dan, is that you you keep those guys on the field because you figure, like, they're going to give you your best chance to stop the run. The problem with that thinking, though, is that they're taking the play off. They're never on the field when the punter's also on the field. So in theory, it plays into exactly what happened. They're relaxing. They see motion. Hey. What's that? You see that? Hey, you see that? All of a sudden, then the guy goes right by him. Right. So I don't know if it's such a good idea, this whole punt safe mentality, because it wasn't so safe on Sunday. No, it wasn't. And listen, like that's a uh, that's a drive that the Bears were off the field on and the Texans ended up squeezing points out of it. If you lose that football game, you come back to that and say that's a pivotal moment in the second half of a game that you cannot allow to happen. The Texans went down and tied the score at that point. So that's another thing that we would have been focused on if we flipped the score. And if you flip the score, I'll have to add this. I complimented Matt Eberflus for how transparent he was in addressing the lack of timeouts and the poor usage and clock management at the end of the first half. And he acknowledged it. He had all his metrics ready to go and answer. He also was very open about how they need to be quicker to react, and they just got outsmarted on the, on the fake punt. And he was very amenable to that question. I don't think he would have been had they lost. <laughs> I, I don't think that maybe his answers would have been as expansive or he might have been as agreeable or said them with a smile had they lost because no coach likes to lose and be second-guessed like that. Yeah, same for Justin, who was, uh, you know, still a little bit uh, agitated after the game, but was friendly enough in being agitated after the game that it didn't become an extra story. And that's what happens when you're able to, to walk into your Sunday night with a victory. All right, let's take a quick look ahead. So Giants on the road, good test for an offensive line, young offensive line, road environment, different from Lambeau, but still challenging. That that building does not have a lot of great memories for Bears offensive line. I think (laughs) about Jay Cutler being groggy after being sacked about 17 times uh, back in the day. 
Dan, this is to me a mirror image of what the Bears are going into and looking in, in, back at the Bears because you have Joe Shane, you have yep. Ryan Dayball, both guys, general manager and head coach, could have been in Chicago. Some people thought they would be a, a package deal with the Bears, could be running the Bears organization at Hal Saul just as easily as Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are. I'll have more on that later in the week when we get to our, our Friday morning podcast because it's a notable storyline. Both of those men, Joe Shane and Brian Dable, did Zoom interviews with Bill Polian and George McCaskey and the crew back in January and ultimately wound up in New York. Ryan Poles never did talk to uh, Brian Dable as a, a potential head coaching candidate, even despite being there in the building for that no legendary Chiefs Bills playoff game that had everybody astir in that very same month. Uh, so we'll talk more about that later in the week. It's an interesting uh, development here with with so many of these first year coaches getting off to good starts, right? Brian Dable wins his first two games. You got Kevin O'Connell. I think he was your coach of the year pick, if I'm not mistaken, before the year. He's got the the Vikings believing and coming back for victories. You got Doug Peterson working magic in Jacksonville, right? Like there's a, there's this new coach bounce and Flusi's out to a two and one start. He even with some ugly performances and you say, boy, this is, this is fun for, for teams that, that, that hit the reset button and are getting some early dividends out of it. It's also fun to watch this trend in the NFL. And I don't know if it's going to continue, but you talked about the new coach bounce and I wonder, I don't think it's related, but you look around the way teams won on Sunday. And I'm not just talking about the 11 to 10 victory by the Broncos over the 49ers <laughs> oh, in God. an ugly game on Sunday night. But, Dan, there were a lot of outcomes in the 20s. Not, not Only, I think, maybe two winning teams were in the 30s. And I wonder, is defense making a comeback? Is this uh, Are there going to be more teams who are leaning on the running game as their mediocre quarterbacks try to improve or – they tried to protect them because there are a lot of game managers in the NFL. There are a lot of great quarterbacks. There are a lot of Justin Herberts. There are a lot of guys like Patrick Mahomes and there's Brady and Rogers, et cetera, at all. But I think that I wonder after a very interesting week three Sunday, where this is headed and how it might affect the bears. And frankly, the giants, because that's a team that doesn't, that doesn't play the run really well, but they can run the football and remain explosive. If Saquon Barkley is healthy. Yeah, Saquon Barkley in the, the the season opener looked healthy, right? And that's a scary Saquon Barkley. And the Bears have seen that Saquon Barkley in their past and understand how difficult that dude is to tackle when he's fully healthy and able to cut and use his agility the way he is. Their run defense is going to be challenged once again. To the Bears' benefit, I think when folks saw openings for a higher win total than the odds makers were projecting, they saw opposing quarterbacks on the schedule, right? And so far, they've beaten Trey Lance and they've beaten Davis Mills. And now they've got Daniel Jones next on their dock. And it's not this this long line of of just intimidating passers that they're going to face this season. And so if you can do some things defensively to make that opposing quarterback uncomfortable, if you can do some things to hang around in games, now all of a sudden you have like what happened in week one and week three. You get yourself late in a close game and you, and you make a play that swings it. Now, was it Davis Mills that went to Duke and, and Daniel Jones that went to Stanford? or is it All the way around. Not? All the way around. I know because they're that similar. Dan, they could be that similar. I know Daniel Jones probably a little more mobile, but he's a guy who could throw you the football too. More on that on Friday because I'm not that impressed with that young quarterback. And I think that his days may be numbered in New York as well because that's not an easy place to play. And I think a lot of people already might have given up on, on a Daniel Jones. All right, so I think that uh, that'll wrap it up our look at the Bears and the Texans 23-20 victory on Sunday at Soldier Field. We're going to look ahead at Bears and Giants on Friday. You want to rejoin us and download and listen to that podcast as well. 
For Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com. For Adam Studzinski, our ace producer, I am David Haw. It's the Take the North podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, Bears fans. We will talk to you on Friday. Thank you.